Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And again, I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the second hour, they are American Manganese, Barkerville Gold Mines, Crocodile Gold Corp, Intertopia Corporation, Go West Gold Limited, Smash Minerals, and Trevally Mining Corporation. Well, Peter, before we went to the commercial break, we uh, just started talking a little bit about uh, inflation deflation, or at least I brought up the topic after you had suggested uh, for some very good reasons. You don't see how the day of reckoning can be too far away. So, you know, it seems to me that one of the biggest issues is how does this pathology, I don't know what else to call it, this economic pathology, how does it get resolved? There is an enormous amount of debt that cannot be repaid. Uh, we see an exponential growth in debt, a linear growth, if any growth at all, in income in the United States. And globally, we're in we're in bad shape, as you pointed out, some areas of the world a lot worse than others. But how does it get resolved? Now, does it get resolved through the fires of hyperinflation, a Zimbabwe, a hyperinflationary Germany, or does it get resolved through a deflationary depression, or might there be maybe a mixture of both? What What is your feeling on this issue? Well, I think we're living the mixture of the both. That's where I think both the deflationist people, such as yourself, and some of the more inflationary people really are partially right. I mean, think about this. Look at the valuations that we've seen drops in real estate. You know, a mm-hmm. uh, home is in America, you know, it's almost the vast majority of people, it's single biggest asset. And home prices are down, you know, the numbers. They're, 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 they're horrible. Yeah. Uh, we just hit worse than the Great Depression. Yet at the same time, if you look at some of the inflation stuff, costs, energy, gas, food, it's really going at a much higher rate than even the government tells us, Okay. So, you know, how are those both things happening at the same time? You know, in the Great Depression, when there was real deflation, everything went down. You know, yeah. prices just, you know, collapsed. Right. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think it, it, if it ever does get resolved, see, that's, that, that's the thing that people don't like hearing. And, and as a Christian, it's tough to say it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it ever fully gets resolved again, because I don't know if America will ever be something even remotely close to what it once was. I think, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't think it will be. I, if you think about how big, you know, the, uh, the 1800s was uh, Great Britain, the 1900s was America, uh, and the 20s is going to be Asia, China, mm-hmm. and India. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the former, what Great Britain once was and what it declined to, I think you're going to see America decline in that same aspect. You talked about the military and all, and you know, I've heard a lot of military people over the years say those who control the seas control the economies. And mm-hmm. a lot of military people say within the next five to no more than ten years, the Chinese Navy will be comparable to the U.S. Navy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I don't see America as, you know, I, I ever being the economic dominant uh, country it once was, mm-hmm. no matter what its state in the military is. And I think... The Ron Pauls of the world, and, you know, what I know of him and his call for, you know, no military engagements outside of defending our borders and all, are going to become more and more the call of Americans. I think Americans, no matter, they may not be up on the economics, are getting tired of being the world's cop. Mm -hmm. You know, they're getting tired of seeing, you know, how much money we spent in Afghanistan for what? 
You know, what's the net result of it? when well, we're going to have more and more difficulty paying our own bills here and our own problems with our own borders. So I, I think all those things combined are, are moving America further down uh, the economic uh, staircase. And I don't think it will ever come close to rebound. I don't think there's a solution in terms of fixing the Jay to make it like it once was. I don't think we'll ever be like we once were. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because I don't think morally and spiritually uh, we're going to be. And, you know, I, I shouldn't say that because God is such a wonderful uh, creator that he could do anything. But the way things are now and the way things look as a believer, uh, I think if, if we traced all our problems back, it, 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 it's founded in the breaking away from morals and all in the United States, which was breaking away from the Judeo-Christian way that America once thrived on, lived mm-hmm. on, and, and was proud and, be, and willing to speak about it in day-to-day events, which right. it no longer is. Well, certainly, uh, <clears throat> Peter, one of the reasons I got interested in, in gold uh, was because of the moral issue. In fact, I had a professor, uh, uh, Peyton Yoder, uh, back in 1967, so I'm dating myself as a sophomore in college, and Professor Yoder was absolutely convinced there was a, a correlation between the de, uh, the debasement of a currency and uh, work ethic and morality in a nation. And I thought that was an interesting concept, and I watched what was going on during the 1967-68, uh, that time frame, Vietnam and socialism coming to America and another wave of it. And nobody wanted to pay for it, and we were told we didn't have to pay for it. We could just create money and debt. And, of course, that's when de Gaulle said get out of here. I want your real money. I don't want your uh, your phony stuff. But I watched what was going on, Peter, and this notion that you can have something for nothing, you don't have to work for it. it to me, it even transcends economics. It, trans, it, it sort of indicates that we, in our relationships with other people, we don't have to be honest. We don't have to be truthful. We can find a way to get what we want um, without working for it, without building for it. Do you think that makes any sense? Well, I think people become more accustomed to that and they continue to then when things go wrong look for the government to fix it and, and mm-hmm. make it better overnight and the problem is is we've run out of the ability to keep doing that uh, you know, I think again I, I point to where growth is truly happening in the world and what those people are doing with their money you know Jim Rogers said it a long time ago and I think it makes perfectly sense the best advice you can give to your children and your grandchildren is learn to speak chinese mm-hmm. because you know that's where economic growth's coming from now my little kick to that is i actually think for those that missed the china bull run uh in the next one to two years you're going to have another opportunity it's called india i'm not there yet because i think the market there can pull back somewhat but the areas of the world where we're going to see true growth economic growth are not going to be uh, where we used to see it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and how we come about when we finally face that day of reckoning, does the government make a decision to make QE2 look like chump change and just like you said, create money like unprecedented any time in the history of the world? Or do we people come so concerned overnight that they pull everything, they sell whatever they can of American mm-hmm. assets, and we see a great deflationary thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's a coin flip, Jay. I don't mm-hmm. think either any either side could, with confidence, and risk their loved ones and make a bet because we just don't know politically what will be what the pressures will be at that time. I do think, and and it'd be interesting to hear your view is 
that we had a little taste of this in 2007, mm-hmm. and it looked like our politicians and certainly the Treasury and all blinked and decided rather than the face face a real deflationary, let these things sell off like uh, some of us felt they should have, and and go through a deep you know recession or or depression in order to truly wash it out. They they chose to go to the printing presses, and that's why I still error that I think when top push comes to shove. That's what America will choose to do versus mm-hmm. living through a very, you know, Great Depression again. Right, right. Well, they'll certainly try to do it. I have no doubt about that, Peter, that they will. The policymakers will try to. The, the problem I have with the inflation argument using that alone is that the money that it was created was, was really given out to the rich. And uh, and I would argue that the uh, I don't know if you agree with this that the inflation the uh, a lot of the commodity prices energy and food and base metals and so forth was uh, a result in part of this money creation and the money as the Professor Auerbach who we had on this show a couple of weeks ago is saying that I think 53 percent of the money that was created by the Fed is still sitting in the banks and as in the 1930s the banks couldn't lend it out wouldn't lend it out for one reason or another because they couldn't find credit worthy borrowers so I mean. Uh, to me, it seems like we have to get it out to the masses of people for the inflation. But but either way, Peter, I don't know which way it's going to go. You're right, and uh, we can't know for sure uh, because that's you know like it's mass psychology that comes into play and so forth. So. Here's a big problem. I don't hear a lot of economists speak mm-hmm. on, especially the ones that are on you know normal financial media. Mm-hmm. There, there's no doubt that it costs more to live as an American. No one day to day, it's just costing more over these last several years. Wage growth has been non-existent, Jay. It's been yep. non-existent. Yep. There's just been no... So no matter how you want to spin Wall Street and stock ownership, the fact is it's tougher now economically for people than it was five or ten years ago. Absolutely. So if the stock market is truly a place of part ownership of businesses and businesses that depend on the economy, there's not a lot of positive things you can paint for the outlook for the economy going down the road. Mm-hmm. That's why I can't buy the bullish argument for the stocks. And like yeah. I said... I think it's only survived because, like you just pointed out, so much of the money that was created went to the banks. The banks are the big players. You know, they're the pipe pipers. The people follow them. So right now they've been playing this game. But eventually that game ends because the real, real long-term growth for stocks comes from economic expansion, and we just can't have it. And one last point before we run out of time. From 1994 to 2006, Almost two-thirds of the United States GDP came directly or indirectly rated, related to real estate, mm-hmm. whether it was the increase in homes and people buying dishes and washers, home values going up, people able to borrow against it, put that money back into the economy, et cetera, et cetera. There's no boom anytime soon coming into real estate. It may bottom, Jay. It may not go down anymore. But there's just no way there's too much product out there to have a boom again. Well, if you remove that stimulus that was moving the U.S. economy, how do you replace it? Are we going to be suddenly farming again? Are we going to be industrialized? So the long-term outlook for for the U.S. economy is poor no matter how you look at it, whether you're a deflationist, an inflationary, a a scared person, or even somebody wants to be, try to be optimistic. There's no credible argument I could find to look for strong growth in the United States for years to come. And therefore, that's, that's the main reason why I'm bearish in the market because, you know, I've been bullish on the market. I'm not a guy that's always predicting the end of the earth, but there's just nothing out there to support real economic growth, sustainable, without all the baggage that comes with it for the United States for years to come. 
I couldn't agree with you more, Peter. And as I look at something I call my inflation deflation watch, uh, the components of that, uh, yes, we've had a big run-up since uh, QE1 and QE2, but the components of that that would you would expect to lead an expansion that would lead to commodity prices, for example, would be housing, autos, and the general economy. And none of that has happened in the U.S. at least. But uh, I'm going to take a couple of extra minutes into the next sector, which was my, my time, some of my time to talk. I want to ask you, though, because you have talked here about uh, the growth elsewhere, uh, India, China, Asia, maybe some select countries in South America. Um, so the case for the bullish case for some of the markets that we follow, you know, in the, in the mining sector, the base metals, certainly uh, certainly gold and silver, we're seeing demand come out of China. Certainly energy is driven by industrial growth, and China has a shortage of, uh, of electricity where they're having their problems, they can't get enough. Nuclear energy now, uh, which way that's going to go is another interesting question. But do you see, do you see growth uh, on balance? Forget the West. You know, we're not going to grow for any time soon. Do you see growth uh, for the balance in the globe the global economy leading to higher, uh, higher real prices in the base metals and energy. I think energy is is, is a no brainer. I'm not as bullish and haven't been for base metals as precious metals. I'm not bearish. I think they're going to do well. But as you know, I've called this gold market the mother of all gold bull markets. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons that the perma bears have done a horrific job, have missed it, continue to draw lines in the sand that are never going to work, is they've never understood the two or three biggest changes in the gold market over the last 20 or 30 years, like from when we first met. When we met in the 80s and through much of the 90s, there were two deterrents to the gold market that really capped it, no matter all the other bullish reasons you can give. One, uh, people who produce it, find it, sold it for it. So yep. they were cutting their nose to spite the face. You would mm-hmm. think people that produce something would want higher prices for it. But unfortunately, back then, producers sold much of their production for it. Second, the people that owned the most of it, central banks, were large net sellers. That stopped. It stopped years ago. Yeah. They've never grasped that. They've never been able to understand when you take that equation out of it, and then you add some of the other things that you and I can discuss why there's bullish reasons to own gold. That's one of the reasons why we're at where we're at regarding this great gold bull market, Jay. Mm-hmm. And it's not changed. Mm-hmm. Central banks have become net buyers. Uh, it's a four-letter word. If you try to speak as a CEO to your investment group that you want to forward sell uh, gold, and therefore the bottom line is the gold bull market will continue. Now, when you see the wealth, in the areas of the world where people buy, people in China buy gold the way Americans put money in their IRAs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and 401ks. But instead of putting it in paper assets, Chinese and others in, in, in India and all are now buying metals, particularly gold and silver, as investment vehicles. And once we created this as an investment vehicle and not some scared thing, just like most people don't want to buy life insurance, even though it's a very good thing to own, except when they get older and they start to worry. The dynamics for gold and silver remain extremely bullish, extremely bullish. Base metals, yes, not as bullish, but look, the work that's going to be needed in India alone, 
for its infrastructure. It's going to put a demand close to the demand that we saw for copper in China. And when you mm-hmm. combine the both of them, we're not going to see ninety cents or a dollar forty ever again in our lifetime in mm-hmm. copper. Mm-hmm. And so, even if it had a terrific uh, bear market and it declined to two fifty or two seventy five, still it makes most copper companies viable. So yeah. I think all in all, Jay, and, and to kind of wrap up things is mm-hmm. I, I really think metals are great. I like precious metals over base metals. Energy, at the end of the day, everybody all wants their gadgets. There's all needs for more and more, and you're going to have to find some way to service all of that. And guess what? It's not all going to come from solar. It's not going to come from all renewable stuff. We're still going to need fossil fuels. We're still going to need nuclear, and a combination of all of them will be the only way governments will be able to meet the true demand. So I still remain very, very bullish on the energy sector as well. Well, that's uh, probably a good place to leave it, but I would like to just ask you a little bit about nuclear. What are your, what are your thoughts? You just mentioned nuclear. Uh, it's not going to go away. Just a slowdown here as people get over this, this tragedy in Japan. and then uh... Uh, No question about that, that there, there's been a short-term hit, and that hit could could last even for many months or even a couple years. But a couple years from now, when there's blackouts and brownouts and people around the world who still want all their energy stuff, uh, barring the total, total something that we, we haven't seen yet are happening, the net result is nuclear will still remain viable. Uh, now, good news, bad news, if your company was fairly strong, it was a good exploration company with a lot of cash and advanced projects or a producer, the weak and the raft are going to get shaken out of this. It's going to be difficult to raise money maybe for the next three months, six months, or even a year in the junior uranium sector. Mm-hmm. So those that were hanging on, badly capitalized, very little money, a lot of shares outstanding, projects that weren't well advanced, they'll shake out, but it'll, it'll make the ones that survive mm-hmm. that much better. And if you look at that, and the case example, and it's not a client of mine, but it is a company on my tracking list, that I think is an example of what I just said is hat thought expiration. They have held much of their rebound in their game while others have come back because, A, they have a well-advanced project, they have the right financing, and so they don't need to come to the market as some guys that were marginal before this terrible tragedy. So I, I still like it. Uh, nuclear-related uh, stocks, juniors, are, are, are a good part of my tracking list. I don't think they're about to fly but I also think they're pretty well getting depressed, you know, and, and there it's an area where I think you can put some of your risk capital towards. Well, thank you, Peter. What is the name of that Hathor, did you say? Hathor, H-A-T. H-A-T is a symbol on yes. the Toronto Exchange? On the Toronto Exchange. Excellent. And not one of your clients, you say? it's just Not one, but on our, what I call my tracking list, the companies I follow that aren't related to the business that I do. Do you have, Peter, do you have any uh, any nuclear energy or any uh, uranium companies that you do follow that are clients that you'd like? I have uh, Crosshair Exploration. Uh, they are uh, uh, exploring both in the U.S., up in Canada. There's been a moratorium, which is to end this fall, hopefully. Uh, but like I said, uh, I, I think the... There's no way the world can have all the energy that it wants to have due to all the things we now use energy for mm-hmm. and not have nuclear in that equation. I think the mistake people are making is they're going from feast to famine when they're looking at the nuclear stocks. They were feasting before the accident. Now they're famine. And that famine could last to the end of the year, and we could see weakness into the end of the year as people 
fail out of that sector. But I think if you and I are blessed and God still had, gives us the grace to be here a couple of years from now, I think those shares on average will be higher a couple of years than they are than they are right now. Very interesting, Peter. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Appreciate your insights. Always, always very uh, useful, very uh, worth listening to. Uh, I wish you all the best, and I hope to catch up with you sometime pretty soon. Your team, your favorite team, did win the Stanley Cup, I guess. Well, I don't think so much the favorite team won, but the team that I root against didn't win. Okay. <laughs> all right, very good. Well, thank you, Thank Peter. you, Jay. God bless you. Always listener. fun. Take care. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back in a, a couple of minutes uh, with Ted Ohashi and some of my own comments. Don't go away. We'll be right back. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital, combined with advanced technology, will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. This program is brought to you by Sandgold at www.sandgold.ca. Sandgold is an aggressive gold company operating in Manitoba, Canada, a top-ten gold mining region. Sandgold continues to show tremendous exploration success. With two mines already in production, the company is now revealing a new gold mining trend. Discover the potential at Sandgold. Trading symbol SGRCF on the OTCQX and SGR on the Toronto Exchange. Visit our website at www. .sandgold.ca Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and ride I'll be sliding down I'll be 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Um, I'm going to uh, give you some ideas. Chen Lin uh, is in the process of moving, and he is not available uh, live today, but he did pass on some of his thoughts to me earlier today. Hope to have Chen with me in a couple of weeks. He's going to be taking a little time off with his family uh, to go to Florida and take the kids to Disneyland or Disney World, whatever it's called down there. Uh, and uh, but but he's uh, you can trust me. Chen is going to be keeping abreast of the markets and probably touching base with us from time to time. Uh, he did put out a bit of a missive yesterday, and he's talking about. Uh, the oil uh, prices. Chen had suggested shorting oil when it got up over a hundred bucks as a way to sort of protect yourself against a declining market, and that actually is a trade that that would have worked well if you had taken it up. Uh, oil prices having come down fairly considerably, uh, and Chen is also uh, suggesting that this is very very bullish for gold mining companies, and he's suggesting that. Uh, people should you should really keep a close eye on uh, on the earnings that are coming out the uh, second quarter earnings that will be coming out fairly shortly uh, for the gold mining companies Chen thinks as do I that declining oil prices are very bullish for gold mining profits you know I talk about on a regular basis about the real price of gold uh, we talk about the Rogers raw materials fund relative to the price of gold how uh, an ounce of gold would have purchased 17% of the Rogers Raw Material Fund before the Lehman Brothers decline and then shot up to 44%. It's about 37 38%, something like that now. So, you know, getting the gold out of the ground profitably is what gold mining companies all try to do, and the more successful they are, the better their share prices perform uh, in general. So this is one thing that we're looking at very carefully. I um, We're going to have Ted Ohashi with me uh, pretty soon when he gets... When he gets here. I don't see that he's here just yet, but let me talk a little bit about, uh, let me talk a little bit. Oh, Ted, you're there, Ted? I am. Great. Um, what's, uh, what's happening in Vancouver today? Well, it's a beautiful day in paradise. Um, Is we're... it paradise after the Canucks lost, though? <laughs> I knew you were going to mention that. We were just talking about it, actually, and uh, uh it, the the hockey game was uh was very sad but uh the reaction of uh, some of the people in uh kind of rioting and damaging uh, uh private property was uh was even worse so well i can tell you that i was up there uh signing in um getting my room uh at the hotel across from the pan pacific there um and uh, I was there in the overtime. It had just gone into overtime, and there was probably a couple thousand people hanging out by the Pan Pacific watching on this big screen television the Canucks win and uh, a 3 to 2 victory in overtime. And then the city went absolutely nuts. I mean, I was walking around uh, just on my own for a couple of hours. It was just nonstop horn blowing, people yell- yelling, screaming, hanging out of cars. 
drinking, and I'm saying to my, this sounds really crazy. How can people get, I mean, it's, it's a game that's played. You have a few <laughs> professionals that probably these people don't know. You know, they don't know them personally. Yeah. Uh, and yet they act like it's them, like they did it, you know. And then yeah. when it goes into reverse and you lose, uh, people become distraught. And it's, it's sort of an interesting phenomenon how we can get so caught up in uh, our team, you know. I mean, our team. I mean, it's not anything. So as spectators, we watch these things and get so wrapped up. And you sort of like living vicariously, I guess, rather than rather than uh, living yourself. You live it through uh, through other people. I suppose that's what... A lot of our society, television, and everything's about. Huh? But yeah, anyway. but my theory is that uh, the people that were causing the the trouble in the riots were not the hockey fans. Mm-hmm. They were people that were taking advantage of a of an event to do what they went there to do, which is cause problems and create uh, havoc. Right. Well, they're blowing off some steam one way or another. Um, you know, we we talk about bubble economics, Ted. It's one thing that um, that I'm really you know, unhappy. I mean, we have to be unhappy about what's going on. It seems like the global economy is being stimulated by funny money, and we have one bubble after the next. We didn't used to have bubbles like this. We never, you know, I'm old enough to remember when people saved their money and invested it. You didn't create money out of thin air and blow bubbles. And we're blowing bubbles. Uh, and, you know, we, we have, uh, Chen Lin was talking about the housing bubble that he thinks China is in, and that was a, uh, another idea, item that he had in his missive that he sent out. Chen believes that China is going to come down hard sooner or later into when that bubble is going to collapse. So we have bubbles all over the place, but we do have companies that are also doing things that are helpful to people in spite of the bubbles, in spite of the malinvestment that's created by, uh, by Keynesian economics, I believe. And you have a company that is a client of in, uh, investment pitch uh, called Ventry Point Diagnostics. Talk to us about that. Well, yeah, VentriPoint is a, is a very interesting company in that uh, it turns out it's very difficult to get a picture of your heart. Um, and I didn't know this, but uh, apparently cardiologists have been wrestling with the problem for years. Um, and so what VentriPoint has done is they've developed a system that in a very non-invasive and uh, relatively inexpensive way, can give the doctor an accurate three-dimensional picture of your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they do it now, uh, there are three primary ways. One is ultrasound, um, and uh, we've all seen uh, ultrasound pictures of, uh, of babies uh, uh, in, their mom, in their mother's womb. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you can see that, you know, that gives you a very fuzzy picture of what you're looking at, and so when they use ultrasound to get a picture of the heart, that gives you a fuzzy picture as well. Uh, the second way to do it is with MRI. Uh, MRI, the problem there is that any MRI machine in any hospital in the world, there's a waiting list to get on it. Um, and uh, to, uh, to get an accurate picture uh, of your heart on an MRI machine takes almost an hour. Uh, it takes 50 minutes. Uh, and you have to lie still for 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that rules out babies and children, small children. Um, and it also means that uh, you can't have any metal on you, which rules out people like me who have an old sports injury and, mm-hmm. uh, and have some metal still in my uh, bones. So, mm-hmm. um, so MRI is out. Uh, and then, of course, the third way is x-ray. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we all know the problems. You can't 
do repeated x-rays. So mm-hmm. uh, what VenturePoint has done is they've combined uh, sonar with, believe it or not, GPS, global mm. positioning, mm. Uh, to create an accurate uh, picture of your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what happens is that uh, uh, the doctor uses uh, the ultrasound, and there are 20 points that uh, he uh, dots on the screen with a light pen. Um, and uh, from that, uh, VenturePoint has developed um, these uh, uh, proprietary uh, formulas, uh, algorithms, and, uh, and a proprietary database uh, which gives them an accurate 3D picture of your heart. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, so, so, Ted, how advanced are these? Uh, is this uh, is this technology? I mean, in terms of the regulatory process. Uh, well, the regulatory process it's it's approved in Europe. It's approved in Canada. Uh, the um, FDA and the states wanted a couple of more uh, clinical trials, uh, which are underway right now and uh, will be completed by around the end of the summer. Uh, and it's, uh, and the, these trials are on this uh, uh, particular approval path, which is a 90-day path. Uh, so once the trials are over, they could uh, have approval by, by Christmas. Um, and so uh, basically, uh, the approval process is well in hand. And as I say, in Europe and Canada, it's been approved. What is the uh, size of the market for this product? Well, the, the size of the market is really uh, quite substantial because uh, for, for babies and, and uh, very young people, um, uh, that's a market that, that uh, the cardiologists have, have just been crying for some system to get this uh, accurate 3D image. Um, and that's a $200 million market. Um, and if, if we move to the adult market, uh, which is much, much bigger, uh, then that's a $2 billion market, B as in billion. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's a huge market, um, and um, uh, it's a market that uh, uh, right now uh, they're having to allocate units uh, that they uh, uh, give to hospitals and, and um, uh, cardiac centers. Yeah. So, uh, Ted, is this is this a Canadian company? I, I assume. Yes, it is. Uh, it's a it's a it's a TSXV listed company. And what uh, is the symbol? Uh, it's Victor Peter Tom VPT. Uh-huh. Uh, the market price is around uh, sixteen cents, or it was at least wow. the last time I looked. Um, and uh, that gives the company a market cap of about twelve million dollars. Well, what about its capital needs? I mean, it's difficult to raise money with a market cap like that. Yes, it is. Uh, they, uh, they just closed uh, a small financing. Uh, what, what they're doing now is uh, they're raising money to manufacture more machines uh, to put into uh, a practice in uh, hotels, in, or hotels in hospitals mm-hmm. uh, in, um, in Canada, Europe, uh, and uh, starting next year, hopefully in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to demonstrate. They'll demonstrate the uh, the usefulness of this, and then uh, I guess uh, wondering if there's you know always when there's some new medical breakthroughs, it seems not always, but very often there's somebody else going to get hurt. There's competition and comp- competitors. Uh, you know the people that've been there first don't necessarily like that, and the cynical side of me suggests that maybe there is a uh, 
maybe there's some resistance in the regulatory process, uh, the FDA or whatever, or or some sort of resistance towards some little company. Or not. if the company's a problem, why not just go out and buy them out for twelve million dollars? <laughs> well, uh, there, there's a couple of comments that I'd like to make there. Um, one is that uh, that the real advantage of uh, this technology is it takes pressure off MRI machines, mm-hmm. um, and and that really helps uh, hospitals, hospital administrators, people that uh, are responsible for hospital budgets. Because um, you know, if in Canada at least, if you if you try to get uh, an MRI on on yourself, uh, you know, the waiting time can be two or three months. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is um, the, the companies that make these machines, uh, the, uh, the sonogram machines, the, uh, um, uh, the uh, uh, MRI machines, mm-hmm. uh, there are basically four companies, and, and they're all huge names. So they're General Electric, they're Philips, uh, Toshiba, and Siemens, like mm-hmm. these are the these are the four largest companies in that marketplace. Yeah, and and this technology makes their machines uh, more efficient. Okay. So I think I think one or two of these companies are going to end up fighting to get this technology um, a, a year or two down the road. Hmm. So how many how many shares? I guess well, you told the market cap, so we know it's twelve million dollars, sixteen cent stock. Yeah. So I guess this uh, your, your sense here is that this has a lot of uh, speculative appeal. I mean, it could it could be a big it could be a home run. Yeah, it it has that potential. It it's a it's a technology a medical technology company where uh, uh, when I interviewed management, they said uh, I asked them is there tech is there technological risk here, and they said we don't think so. We think that's all behind us. Um, the 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 doctors that uh, that they've uh, given machines to, uh, they're taking their files, they're doing their reports, and, and they're going to all the major conferences to uh, tell other doctors about uh, their success with this machine. Um, and, um, and then, you know, to me, the end game is four huge companies fighting over a relatively small little entity uh, that, that has this technology. And, uh, um, I think uh, when that happens, uh, current shareholders are, are going to be in a big win position. Mm, very interesting. Now, I understand. So you did interview them. Did you do it? On, uh, is it a video interview, Ted, or is it? Yes, it, it is. Viewed it, at yeah, the that's uh, investment pitch. Uh, we did that interview, and, uh, and the, uh, uh, the video will be posted on uh, the investment pitch website uh, very shortly here. Investmentpitch.com. What do they do? Just uh, they just Google in or put in the name of the company, and it will come up to the to the. Um, uh, yeah, to they the video. can go in through VentraPoint uh, Diagnostics, uh, or they can go in through investmentpitch.com, uh, and then uh, on the search function there, uh, they can enter VentraPoint. Well, it sounds really interesting, Ted. Uh, anything else? Uh, you'd like to mention before we conclude our discussion this week? No, I, I heard your comments on gold and, uh, and uh, you know, as, as you know, I'm also very bullish on gold and uh, uh, we do have our little project in Belize that's still uh, ticking along. Uh, we actually uh, uh, took delivery of our first shipment of gold oh. um, and uh, we don't know the value yet, but... Uh, it's probably in the range of twenty thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars, and that was for three and a half days of production. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's looking good. 
Well, that sounds interesting. It's still a private company, though, at this stage, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Any idea when you might take it public? Well, we're we're looking very actively at that now, and uh, and uh, you know we we hope that uh, uh, we'll get that done um, uh, over the balance of the year. Okay, excellent, Ted. Well, thank you very much, uh, folks. Don't go away. Going to be right back with my partner Roger Wiegand uh, right after the commercial break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with Bite, with operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Origa Gold is a Canadian mine development and exploration company working in Manitoba's prolific Flin Flon Greenstone Belt. Origa's experienced management team is focused on developing the Maverick Gold Project and expanding gold resources. Maverick Gold includes historical gold resources, a 1,000 ton per day mill, developed underground rent, year-round roads, and exploration access. Origa plans to bring Maverick Gold back into production in 2012. Origa Gold trades on the TSX Venture under the symbol AIA. Dravali Mining Corporation is building the next mid-tier silver, lead, zinc, and copper producer in the Americas by bringing two new polymetallic mines into production over the next several months. The Half Mile Mine in New Brunswick, Canada is scheduled to come on stream this fall and will be followed by the Santander Mine in Peru, where the company is on schedule for mill commissioning by the end of this year. Exploration is active on both projects that remain open for resource expansion. Dravali trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under symbol TV. Smash Minerals is a gold exploration company in the Yukon whose management was responsible for the first significant gold discovery in the White Gold District with Underworld Resources, which was then sold to Kinross Gold in 2010. Smash holds one of the biggest claim blocks in the Yukon, and exploration has already identified three targets. Intellectual capital, combined with advanced technology, will enable Smash to be quick to drilling in August 2011. You can discover Smash Minerals on the TSX Venture under the symbol SSH. Entertopia Corporation is exploring for precious metal deposits in the western United States. The Copper Hills Project is a near-surface copper and silver oxide deposit. Historic bulk sampling has returned results of 0.8% copper and 3 ounces per ton silver. This year's work program will consist of an IP survey and a drilling program to test the near-surface copper-silver mineralization. Additional projects are under review. Entertopia trades on the OTCBB under ticker ENRT and in Canada under the symbol TOP on the CN. SX Exchange. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. 
by applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of loving ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a lovely ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Times uh, the final uh, segment of today's show, and I have Roger Wiegand with me. We're going to uh, ask Roger for his comments on the gold markets and some other things as uh, as much as we have time for. But before we get to that, there was a couple of ideas I wanted to pass along to uh, to you, the listener, that I didn't get to earlier in the show, and it has to do with investing in gold mining companies. Now. The household name gold mining companies, we're talking about companies like Kinross, Gold Corp, Newmont, um, you know, some of those, Barrick, uh, those are companies that are very, very well known. But if you look at their charts over the last five years, when we've had this enormous growth uh, rise in the price of gold, they've gone nowhere. And the reason for that is because these gold mining companies are producing so much gold, they cannot replace it every year. They've gotten so big. And what they're having to do then is go out and buy uh, companies, uh, the junior mining companies, the guys that are really good at finding it in the ground, and they're paying exorbitant prices. For example, Kinross uh, spent uh, something like, um, in 2007, or in 2010, actually, they bought Redback Mining for $7.1 billion, and that was equal to $710 per ounce in the ground. And they're going to have to spend at least $300, four or $500 probably to get it out. At the end of the day, they've got nothing left. They're spinning their wheels. Redback Mining, on the other, on the other hand, uh, was trading at something under uh, around 2 or $3 in 2006. It went up to oh, just about 37 or $38 it was taken out at. Uh, that is uh, not unusual. We're seeing a lot of the junior mining companies, the guys that find the gold, are rising exponentially. That's where the biggest, the biggest rise is, is with the companies that find the gold, because you're going from market caps of virtually nothing to real wealth in the ground as they find it. Gold Corp paid $1,500 for Andean Resources, for example, and Andean Resources went from pennies to 
seven bucks or so. So this is where I think the real sweet spot is. If you're a little more conservative, though, companies that I like that I follow in my newsletter, uh, like Alexco Corporation, Allied Nevada, uh, Arizon Mines, Barkerville, Brigus Gold, uh, Crocodile Gold, Dynacor, Great Panther, Oceana, Sand Gold. I really love Sand Gold for reasons I don't have time to get into because I want to give Roger some time here. Timmins Gold a new recommendation, Sandstorm Gold. These are companies that are now producing, have cash flow, don't need to issue more shares, and they've got enormous growth potential. So those are the companies that are really sort of on my favorite list. But before I spend all of the time and don't give Roger a chance to talk, Roger, welcome. I want to ask you, though, where do you think the gold price is heading? What, do you, what are the charts telling you about the gold price right now? Well, the gold futures, Jay, today uh, on this 21st of June are making a double top at 1548.5. We did forecast that. Uh, we expect them then to modestly sell back, very mildly, and then continue sideways in a channel for the majority of the summer until we get into the end of July, 1st of August. That's a typical gold cycle uh, that we see every year. We've been watching it for years now. There will be a mini pop, I think, on gold and silver middle of July, but nothing that's really that tradable. <clears throat> what we recommend people do right now is control risk, uh, maybe get rid of some of the dogs if they own some, hang on to the good ones. If you've got a lot of profits in one, you might take half and keep half. But generally, uh, hang on and expect the rally to begin again at the end of July, middle of August. And then from that point forward, continue all the way into May, June of next year when we expect the next big run. Our high forecast for gold this year is 1607. That's a minimum. We're expecting that in the fourth quarter of this year. Our high for silver uh, $59.85, and again, we're expecting that in the last quarter of this year. Now, on silver, it could drift over uh, into the next quarter, the first quarter of 2012, uh, before we get the 59.85. Since we've got so wax so hard on silver, the healing time might take a little bit longer. But I think based on what I see in the markets, Jay, the fourth quarter is going to be good. Fourth quarter, good, and then not so good is starting 2012 for gold. Is that it? Well, no, 2012 is going to be good, too. Uh, in fact, in the fourth quarter, if these credit and stock market problems in the broader markets continue the way we see them continuing, I expect a final divergence between the precious metal stocks and the broader market in the fourth quarter of this year. If, in fact, the broader market does go into a sell, uh, maybe even more than a mild sell, I think the precious metal stocks would get hit anywhere from a week to three weeks. They would base out and then do a pivot reverse and then take off and go a lot higher faster simply because broader market stocks are not the place to be. So you're, let me make sure I understand. So you're expecting gold to be weak here over the next few weeks? Yeah, but not much, Jay. I mean, it's not, I don't expect any big sell. downside target here, Roger? Do you have a downside target? A uh, downside target for gold would be 1507. High side for trading would be 15450. 1540. And what was the downside again? Uh, 1507. 1507. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Very good. And then uh, the, so that so somewhere down there would be a buying opportunity. You sort of weed out your dogs right now and uh, look to pick up something uh, maybe uh, at the bottom. Yeah, we, right. got, we got close to that recently, and we put on three trades in our futures and commodities group right away, all in one day. Right. 
Uh, we got a couple of minutes to close here. I want to ask you about uh, an awful lot of things going on, of course, in uh, in Greece. That's the main area of focus in the in the big news, uh, you know, in the, in the big news media. Uh, talk just a little bit about what's going on there. Um, Greece is a small little country, but the fear is contagion, and uh, Greece goes and if they back out of the uh, European Union, uh, there may be that uh, Ireland and Portugal and some of the others that are being forced into austerity are going to say, enough already, we don't want to do this, we want out of this thing. Do you think that's a real danger? I think it's obviously a real danger, and, and Greece right now is holding all the cards while they don't have any credit, and, they, and most people understand they have no hope of repayment. They're going to get the credit they want, at least for the next 90 days, simply because there's no other choice. Uh, if, if they don't give them the money, uh, the whole thing caves in. If they do give them the money, uh, the people providing the cash are going to get a lot of criticism from their taxpayers and consumers. Yeah, and it's not just their taxpayers. It's our taxpayers that possibly are going to be on the hook, too. Uh, Peter Granich was saying earlier today in the show that, uh, or it was uh, maybe, I can't remember who it was, somebody talked about, um, you know, the country, the one little country, Iceland, that did not accept bailout. They're, they're bouncing back all right, but everybody else is trying to get bailed out. You point out in a missive that you put out today that the USA bankers are heavily loaned to Europe, so I could see it happening again, right? I mean, we absolutely we, we took. Uh, Jeff Dice told us that something like five trillion dollars is going to European bankers out of eighteen trillion dollars of money created out of nothing by Bernanke over the last couple of years. Um, this is this is uh, this is no joke. I mean, this is not unrelated to our lives here in America, is it? No, it's not. And the U.S. is heavily indebted with credit into the European Union. And if, in fact, that thing starts to fall apart, the banks in the U.S. are going to get hit just as hard. Yeah. Well, it's not a happy note, but what we are trying to do on this show, as I point out every week, is to try to understand what's really going on, not what we're told is going on in the mainstream media, and then prepare for it accordingly. Roger, we are seeing uh, a lot of good things to invest in. Certainly, uh, you're seeing uh, in the commodity sector. Anything besides gold and silver that you like a lot? Well, we like the grains, too, and we like oil. Uh, we put our first oil spread trade on, and we made uh, over 100%. I put another one on. Uh, we got even better prices. We're, we're more heavily into grain than we ever have been. Okay, Roger. Unfortunately, that's all the time we've got. I've got to let people know that next week we've got Rick Rule as our major, our main guest. Uh, investor extraordinaire Rick Rule will be with us. I um, want to thank each of you for listening to the show. Thanks our, to our sponsors for making this show uh, economically viable. Uh, and in closing, I want to thank uh, my producer, executive producer, uh, Tacey Trump, and Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically viable. Thanks again for listening, and until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thanks, Jay. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. If you're one of the lucky few, then never.